When I was fresh out of seminary, I was appointed for the very first time to First United Methodist Church here in Austin, and um, I had the privilege of serving with Reverend John Wright and his wife, Reverend Barbara, and they um, co-pastored that church, and they both were a huge influence on my first year of ministry, and I will always be grateful for that. And we have the honor and privilege of welcoming uh, Reverend John Wright to preach for us today. So I hope that y'all will welcome him warmly. I just uh, began retirement the 1st of July, and so I'm still uh, having withdrawal pains from preaching regularly. And when Tracy's invitation came, it felt like uh, rain in the desert. So uh, here I am, uh, and uh, I thank you so much for the invitation to preach to this wonderful congregation. The scripture that I've chosen is from the 13th chapter of uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, beginning with the 24th verse. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who has sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and, and gather them up, these weeds? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, it is an awesome and weighty task to bring your word, to open it up. But you have promised that even though we are cracked and flawed clay jars, you will let the treasure of your gospel shine through. So take these words and correct them and amend them and supplement them and let your Holy Spirit speak to them your word even if my words falter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a kid growing up in a little town in rural Kentucky, uh, our family, like many, had a vegetable garden in uh, the back, the very back of our yard. And one of my chores was to uh, unwind uh, the hose all the way out to the very back and, and water the garden, and then also to take a hoe and to hoe out uh, the grass and other weeds that would begin to grow 
in and between the rows of vegetables. And then later in the summer, as it got hotter and drier, though not as hot and dry as here in Texas, um, the grass along the edge of the garden in, in that part of the yard would begin to turn brown and my dad would ask me to water that grass. And always uh, being a little bit on the lazy side, I would uh, make an excuse, uh, try to get out of work, and I would say to him, well, Dad, I just don't understand uh, how it is that you want me to, to kill the grass in one place and save the grass in another place. He wasn't buying that excuse. He just handed me the hoe and the hose and said, get to work, son. Can, you, uh, can anyone here tell me uh, the working definition of a weed? You know what a weed is? In the, in the broadest sense, in the broadest sense, a weed is any plant, any plant, mind you, growing in a place where it is not wanted. Grass in the yard, the more the better. But grass in the garden, oh no. Now in that location, this, it has become a weed, an, an otherwise innocent plant growing in the wrong place. Now today's parable tells us that the church from the very beginning, from the very beginning, the church has had a problem with weeds. That is with people growing in it when they were not wanted by the rest of us. <laughs> and I once heard Ted Wardlaw, president of Austin Press Seminary, say this parable is about who's in and who's out. Who's acceptable and who's not. He said it's about boundaries. How wide can the church really be and still be the church? And I think it tells us something else. It, it tells us that our tendency as human beings, as disciples, our tendency is always to want to get, to grab for the herbicide, to purify the church of its weeds, but not Jesus. Oh no, not this, this guy who chose for his disciples a team of rivals, a team of rivals which included at one extreme a, a collaborator, a traitor, a despised tax collector for the empire named Matthew, and at the other extreme this team of rivals included a violent revolutionary, Simon the Zealot. No, Jesus says, just let the wheat grow with the weeds in the field. Why? Because in trying to root out the weeds, we're likely to root out some of the wheat as well. And besides, I think this is, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but one of the commentaries said this, 
I think it's right. Besides, only, only God, only God is wise enough to tell the difference between what is truly a noxious weed and an otherwise innocent plant that has just happened to find its way into the wheat field. And in this story, God patiently, graciously waits to the last minute before separating the, the weeds from the wheat. Why? Because, because in God's miraculous field of grace, it's always possible for a weed plant to become a wheat plant. Imagine that. Now, friends, we are facing a crisis of cohesion in our beloved United Methodist Church. On, at, at one extreme, some of us, for conscience sake, and I want to, to, to emphasize that, for conscience sake, some of us are threatening to leave the church if we cannot purify it of what they feel are its corrupt doctrinal and immoral weeds. While others of us are threatening to leave the church if we cannot exclude those excluders <laughs> all in the name of inclusion. <laughs> now how ironic is that? But we've forgotten that the church of Jesus Christ is no mere human club, no mere human association that is held together by the common likes and dislikes of its members. It's not a, a club held together by the sameness of our views on any, of, uh, any number of issues. No, the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a field of grace, a field of grace in which both wheat and weeds grow together. It's called, the church of Jesus Christ is called to offer the world an, al an alternative to the starkly polarized society in which we now find ourselves. A society in which we only want to be with people who believe and act just like us. And, and we only want to listen to news that confirms exactly what we believe. But in contrast to that, the church and the gift that we have to offer the world, the church is called to be a community, a, a growing together in unity, which is different from uniformity. A growing together into unity, a community the likes of which the world has never seen. I love this definition by Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer says that in a genuine community, we will not choose our companions, for our choices 
are so often limited by our own self-serving motives. Instead, our, our companions will be given to us by grace. Often they will be people who upset our settled view of self and the world. In fact, and this is the clincher, in fact, we might define true community as that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. I love that phrase. The, the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Or to translate that into today's parable, the church as the true community is that field where the weeds will always be growing, no matter what. So how do we, how do we grow? How do we grow such a community of grace? Well, it's not by using the herbicide of our own versions of what we consider to be the truth, limited though they are. It's not by using herbicide, but by fertilizing, using the fertilizer of love. John Wesley says, if we must choose between insisting on the truth of our own position or loving those with whom we disagree, we must always choose to love them, especially when it becomes clear from our repeated attempts that we're not going to convince them that they're wrong and we're right. But of course, our temptation in that situation is just to hit harder with our version of the truth to, to to uh, use it like a herbicide, as though we could extirpate the, what we, those we consider weeds. But listen to what John Wesley says in the preface to his sermons. How far is love, even with many wrong opinions, to be preferred before truth itself without love? We may die without the knowledge of many truths and yet be carried into Abraham's bosom. But if we die without love, what will knowledge avail? Just as much as it avails the devil and his angels. End quote. Look at that sign. <laughs> I don't need to preach. That's the, that's, the, that's the message of the parable, isn't it? That's the message that we need to hear loud and clear today. We are not in the herbicide business. We are in the business of spreading the fertilizer of love over the entire field and letting God do the rest. <laughs> Let me give you a concrete example of how, what this might look like, how to do this. One day a guy, an actor named Ben Mathis, Benjamin Mathis, set up his free listening sign in a public place and before long a young woman walked up to him and started unloading on him about how horrible and terrible abortion was and, and how that anyone who got one ought to be arrested and put in jail. At first, Mathis confessed, 
I wanted to argue with her. I, I wanted to try to convince her that there might just be a few exceptions. I wanted to tell her how two dear friends of mine had agonized their way through the difficult decision, terribly difficult decision to end a pregnancy. I wanted to, to convince her that she was wrong and I was right. But he said, I reminded myself of my mantra. Hear the biography, not the ideology. Hear the biography, not the ideology. Hear the person, not the opinion. So I said to her, tell me your story. I, I'd love to know how you came to this point of view. She started her harangue up again, uh, but somewhere into it, her, she paused, her lips began to quiver, her eyes filling with tears, and she blurted out, and besides, it's just not fair. It's not fair. All I ever wanted to be was a mom. And then when I was 18, just 18, the doctor told me there was something wrong with my body and I'd never have children. And I kept it a secret. And when my husband found out, he left me. And now I'm all alone and my body doesn't work. Who will ever love me? So I guess I get upset when I see people who can have children and choose not to. Mathis then writes, I wondered if she could hear my heart breaking for her. I didn't need to be right. I just needed to be there for her. I, maybe one day she'll get to hear my story, but today it was my turn to hear hers. I hope she felt loved as I listened to her. And then Ben Mathis ends the piece by saying, the truth is, if our love can hold a space for paradox, tension, and disagreement, there is room for all types of beliefs and opinions. Isn't that a marvelous phrase? If our love can hold a space for paradox and tension. Well, so let me ask you, what would a, a, a real live, goodness to life church congregation look like that spent more time trying to spread the fertilizer of love all across the field, weeds included with fertilizing with God's love rather than trying to purify the field with the herbicide of doctrine. Well, here's how the renowned preacher, teacher, author, professor, Barbara Brown Taylor describes the little Episcopal church in rural North Georgia she once served as priest. She writes, in a big city, the members of my church might have found homes in five different parishes. 
But in a county with only one tiny little Episcopal church, they all had to learn how to live together. The Yellow Dog Democrats and the NRA members, the Daughters of the Old Confederacy and the League of Women Voters. Once when I asked this newcomer who had come into the church into worship uh, what had attracted him to Grace Calvary Church, he just, he looked at me and he just shook his head and said, Pastor, I know the people who come to your church and I just had to come and see for myself how they can get through a Sunday morning without killing each other. <laughs> but she went on to write, but far from that, far from that, people who canceled out each other's votes in every election would stand together to cook and serve food in the church's soup line, would work together to build ramps for uh, handicapped people in the county, and she lists other things. And then she ends by saying, after church one Sunday, I, I went out and found, I, I came out of the church to find a three musketeer bar taped to the hood of my car with, along with a note written by the crazy woman that lives across the street from the church. And it read, all for one and one for all. You go, girl. <laughs> Friends, what my heart yearns for, what I dream of is a United Methodist Church in which we're all for one and one for all, weeds included. For who among us is not a weed to someone in the church? Amen? Amen.